I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Chanel Clayton. Chanel is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of Reese Witherspoon's book club pick Next Year in Havana, When We Left Cuba, The Last Train to Key West, The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba, Our Last Days in Barcelona, and her upcoming The Cuban Heiress. Originally from Florida, Chanel grew up on stories of her family's exodus from Cuba following the events of the Cuban Revolution. Her passion for politics and history continued during her years spent studying in England, where she earned a bachelor's degree in international relations from Richmond, the American International University in London, and a master's degree in global politics from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Chanel also received her Juris Doctor from the University of South Carolina School of Law. Welcome to the show, Chanel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. Thank you. Well, that's quite the impressive resume. I have a question for you to start out. Did you always know you were going to be a writer amongst your studies there? I didn't. Um, I'll be honest. It was kind of something that snuck up on me. I have always been a lifelong reader. So I that my passion for books is kind of one of those things that's followed me all through my life. And when I was in law school, I was really just wasn't a great fit for me. You know, I I enjoyed it, but I didn't have the same passion for it that I'd had for some of my other studies. And so I was thinking about what, you know, I I enjoy doing and what I kind of wanted to do as a career. And I thought, why don't I try to to see if I could write a book since I've always loved reading. Um, And it was just one of those things, you know, once I started doing it, it sort of hooks you. And I fell in love with the process and kept writing and working on my craft. And and that's how I, I got into the job. But it was definitely something that I, I wouldn't have thought of for myself. I'm much more of kind of a business oriented person. I'm not particularly creative. This is like my one creative <laughs> thing. Um, but I think that's what I love about it is it's it's a creative outlet for me. It's a really um, wonderful process for me to be able to sit down and work on a book. And so it, it's been kind of the perfect uh, fit for my personality. I get to do the business side of it and the business side of, of publishing and then also getting to have this wonderful creative outlet. That's wonderful. And I imagine being, I'm not a lawyer myself, but having been to law school, it makes you a really good researcher for your novels. You know, that is something that I don't think I fully appreciated um, until kind of later in my career when I really thought about it, because you do, you read so much and you have to learn how to kind of condense the material that you're reading and to kind of read analytically in a very effective manner. And so I think that has been super helpful for me. And also the writing, you write a lot in law school and in my undergrad and my master's, I wrote a lot as well. So that definitely kind of helps lay the foundation, even though obviously different, different genres, but it, it was a good practice for me, even just with typing, you know, I think it's been super helpful with how quick I can be when I'm drafting my books. Yeah, that's what I found so impressive as I've done the show a little bit longer and I've talked to various authors is the amount that you guys research that go into your books. And for me, I know that's just not my type of personality where I could research and I could have notebooks upon stuff. Like for me, once it's out in the world, I don't really go back and like you're saying, analyze. (laughs) So I'm like, I don't know that I would be very good at that is going back and analyzing everything that you've accumulated in your research to then 
condense it into a novel, which is very impressive. Oh, thank you. For me, that's that's one of the fun parts of the job, definitely. I mean, you kind of go down all these fascinating historical rabbit holes and, and you learn new things. And it's really interesting to see, especially with historical fiction, how much the history shapes, you know, the plot of your books and the characters' lives. I, I think that's part of the the challenge of it. It's like putting a puzzle together and seeing kind of how all the pieces fit. Yeah. And for us as readers, I know we love that part too, right? That's what I'm doing as I'm reading, as I'm trying to figure out where all these pieces fit in. So, but kudos to you guys for doing all the hard work and condensing it into a beautiful story that we can read. Um, I've read a lot of your books. My husband is actually, his family is from Cuba as well. So that was what first kind of turned me on to your, the next year in Havana was where I started um because I've heard stories throughout our relationship from his family both his mom his mom and his dad's side of the family are from there and so did for you in your researching did you start with some of the stories you've heard from your family along the line sure that that's a great question so it's sort of evolved throughout my career um next year in Havana like you mentioned was my first historical fiction book I had written romance before that and with next year in Havana I was really inspired by sort of my relationship with my grandmother. Um, Next Year in Havana, if you haven't read it, is a dual timeline book. Uh, And so part of it's set in uh, revolutionary Cuba, kind of right before the revolution breaks out and then in its immediate aftermath. And then there's also a contemporary storyline. And so I really wanted to kind of explore my Cuban-American identity in a way that I hadn't done in my books before. And also kind of honor, you know, the stories that I'd heard and the legacy that had been passed down to me from my family. My family left Cuba after the revolution and they came to the U.S. in 67 as refugees. And so, so much of my upbringing was really, you know, hearing those stories and seeing the impacts that the Cuban revolution had on my family's life. And so while, you know, the Prez family was very much a fictional family and I didn't want to tell necessarily my family's story in part just because, you know, that is so personal and also, the fact that I think real life does not always translate as well um, when you're writing fiction. And so I wanted kind of that freedom to, to have this family and, and to see where their lives were going to take them. But it was definitely an opportunity to put, you know, little family stories, certainly my emotional connection in the book and that sort of thing, and to honor that legacy. And then really, you know, from there, the Perez family, it has kind of these larger than life characters. And so they really took over and sort of shaped the direction of my next books. You know, Beatrice yeah. is the heroine. Uh, she's one of the sisters for the readers that haven't read um, the earlier books. She's one of the sisters in Next Year in Havana. And her story really just kind of captured me and that I wrote When We Left Cuba. And so it took me on a journey that wasn't necessarily one that I had predicted when I started writing Next Year in Havana, yeah. but enabled me to kind of learn about parts of Cuban history and Cuban American history that I was less familiar with. You know, so much of my family's stories and and the influence that I grew up with was shaped around this, you know, transformative event, which was the revolution in 59. But being able to go back and kind of, you know, with the most beautiful girl in Cuba, look at the Spanish um, American war and, and the conflict, the fight for independence in Cuba from Spain, you know, it really enabled me to get kind of a broader understanding of, of Cuban history and, sort of see where all of it kind of fit in together. So it's been an incredible journey that that I feel like these characters have taken me on. And then with the Cuban heiress, this is sort of the first time that it's really a standalone book. We don't have okay. press characters in this book, um, but it's been 
so interesting to learn about the SS Morrow Castle and, and to, once again, an event that I was previously unfamiliar with, to be able to delve into it and, and learn this new history. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, back to why as readers, I love historical fiction as I'm learning at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, and I think, you know, from my husband's family's perspective, right, of I've heard these stories from his family, but then putting these these actual events into the timeline really help shape what how I view it too. And it's, I love the books. They're just fantastic. Listeners, if you have not read them yet, I highly suggest that you pick them up. They're so, they're so fun. And like you said, the larger than life characters, you really get into the story through the characters and I love them. So thank you. Is your family enjoy reading them as well? It's been, it's been definitely interesting to hear, you know, people comment that they've read them and, and family friends and stuff. It's it's definitely special to to kind of have that connection. I recently read The Mountain Sing. Have you read that? I haven't, no. Okay. It's about Vietnam, but it's okay. actually when, you know, communism was kind of coming to power and what this family went through. And it's told in a dual timeline from a grandmother and the granddaughter's perspective. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because it really made me think about the side of the story from the family side where the granddaughter wasn't old enough to understand what was happening. So the grandmother's like, well, I'll tell you later, like, you're not going to learn this in your history books at school and just how almost they were deleting out part of their history. Right. And I'd never thought about from the stories I've heard from them, that was not a side I had thought about until I read that in this book of Vietnam with, you know, similar situation with communism coming into power in their country, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. So it was a very moving, moving book for sure. And I was like, wow, I, I bet this was similar for them too. And just how it ravaged the families who had to flee. Mm-hmm. I will definitely, that sounds really good. I will definitely have to to add that to my reading list. So thank you. Yeah, it's definitely emotional and it's a tough book. I mean, I, she covers some tough mm-hmm. topics in there, but I think it's stories that need to be told just like I love these books, right, of learning about the history of Cuba. These are the legacies that have been left behind for us to learn from. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Can you tell us a little bit about what your writing process looks like? How long does it take you? How long are you researching? So each book is a little bit different. Um, you know, with Next Year in Havana, which was my first historical fiction, because I think I did have such a personal connection to the book and I had grown up so much with the stories. Um, That one was really one that I kind of, the book came to me very quickly. And so I was able to write and then sort of research and fill in as I went uh, with another book, like The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba, where I was less familiar with the Cuban fight for independence from Spain. I did a lot of front-loaded research for that book before I even started writing. And so it really just depends on the subject matter, you know, with the, the story of the Moro Castle and the Cuban heiress. I knew that I wanted to take this real life event. So the SS Morro Castle is a real ship. It was in 1935, it went on a round trip journey from New York to Havana and there was a fire and basically a great tragedy at sea. And so I knew I wanted to use that real life story and that framework in the book, but I very much wanted to have fictional characters and, and to be able to kind of envision what their lives would have been like with the ship. So it was really a a marriage between research and also letting my characters and the plot guide me. And and each book I feel like speaks to me a little bit differently in terms of what it needs and what my process needs to look like. In terms of kind of universal things, you know, I always write in Scrivener. That's a program that I really enjoy. Okay. It's a great tool for writers because you can put a lot of your research 
in files there, um, the way that the this kind of file is done, you can move scenes around very easily, you know, with oh, cool. working with dual timelines or working with multiple characters. I often find that I'm, you know, kind of playing with where do I want to flip the chapter? When do I want to break the scene? You know, when do we need to hear this character's voice or when do we need to change time periods? And so having that kind of functionality is really great. So that's sort of something I always do. And then I always edit in Microsoft Word and, and go back and forth with my editor. I find that the editorial process is really where my books shine. Um, obviously, okay. you know, with kind of those initial drafts, it, it can be messy. And you sort of give <laughs> yourself, I think, the the creative freedom to just sort of explore. You know, oftentimes I'm, I'm what you call a pantser. So I don't really plot a lot before I start writing. I really find that the research and the characters sort of guide the plot of my story. And so sometimes, you know, that means I'm moving things around or, or changing things up or still sort of getting to know my characters. And then once I have all of that down, when I go through the edits is where I really feel like I can kind of refine and, and build out where I want to and, and get the book kind of into the shape that I want it to be. So each book's a little bit different, you know, in terms of how long it takes. Often, honestly, what drives it the most is that I publish a book a year. So typically I am okay. drafting one book at the same time that I'm editing another and then I'm promoting a third. So wow. often it's like, you know, you'll be drafting a book and you have to kind of set it aside because you get edits in from your editor and you need to pivot to that. Or then like right now, you know, while I'm promoting the Cuban heiress, I'm not really drafting or editing too much because my focus is on that. So it's it's a little bit of just sort of shuffling things around and, and figuring out, you know, what needs to be the priority at that moment. Yeah, which I imagine helps too, right? It kind of gives you a break for in each scene, or you know, not scene, but you know what I mean, in each part of the process, whether you're promoting or drafting or editing, right? You're kind of getting a break, I imagine, and the way you're using your brain, right? You're using it in a different capacity in each one. Yes, no, that is very true. I will say the biggest challenge, honestly, is that sometimes you have so many characters in your head or so many settings and time <laughs> yeah. periods that, you know, when you're talking about the book, you're like, okay, wait, this is, you know, the time period. So that part can get a little bit, um, but I think, you know, probably the law school multitasking comes in there where it's, it's helpful to be able to just sort of hone in, hone in on one thing. But um, yes, it's, it's definitely an interesting part of the process and getting to kind of flex different creative muscles at different moments. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing about that. I also would call myself not a creative person. I've said this on the show before, but I'm a physical therapist by trade. Oh. And I had always said, really, I mean, I didn't do art. I didn't really write very much as a kid, but I played the piano. So I always had considered that my art as a kid. But this, starting this podcast now, um, about six months ago, but doing this has really been a nice creative outlet for me. And so I think mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of working on that skill a little bit now and um, flexing my non-physical therapy brain in a different way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. No, it's it's fun, I think, to be able to do those things and, and have those outlets. Yeah. So have you been able to travel to Cuba? So I have not been to Cuba, um, okay. you know, coming from a, a, an exile family, that is definitely something that is sort of a, a, a hot topic. So yeah. shall we say, um, you know, when I was drafting next year in Havana, we were actually planning a family reunion. Um, my grandmother comes from quite a large family. And so there were about 60 of us. It was back in 2016 when travel had opened up again. And so there were about, you know, this large group of us that were thinking about going, um, but my grandfather, became very upset about the idea and 
it kind of opened a discussion in our family about, you know, whether or not it was appropriate to go, how he felt about it. Um, I have family members that have gone, you know, family friends that have gone and I completely understand, you know, everyone has their own perspective on it and their own personal, you know, connection to why they want to go or don't. But in our case, I think just because it was such a strong um, feeling for him, we decided that, you know, we weren't going to go while things were the way they are. Um, so that's, that's one of those things, you know, it's always been kind of the, the top of my bucket list. And I think that through Next Year in Havana and writing that book, I really got to kind of have that emotional, you know, sense of being able to feel like I had had an opportunity um, that maybe I wasn't able to yet have given the, the current situation in Cuba. So that that is definitely, you know, I think I return to Cuba so much in my books because it is something, you know, I grew up almost with it being kind of a family member. Um, my yeah. grandparents lived with us. And so, you know, they talked about it on a daily basis. And it was such a huge part of my life. You know, we ate Cuban food, I spoke Spanish at home, you know, all of that was so important. But having kind of that distance between the islands um, and, and my identity has been kind of a weird dichotomy, you know, in, in those two. And I think that's something when I talk to other Cuban Americans that I think has really resonated about especially next year in Havana, you know, with readers who have kind of been in similar situations and, and understand that, that feeling of, you know, exile and, and how that affects subsequent generations. Yeah. Yeah. I know my husband, they had talked like the, I guess the boys of the family, let's say about taking the grand, their grandfather back. And they had some issues looking into the visa and my husband's also in the military. So I don't think he can actually go right now. Mm -hmm. um, but it, right when that you were saying, like when the embargo opened, they were like, oh, maybe we'll go. And they started looking into a trip and um, it didn't pan out. And his grandfather kind of ended up being like, you know, I don't know that I'd want to see it the way it is today. Like that's not the Cuba I remember. You know, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, conflicted, feelings and and the vast majority of my family um came to the US and so or overseas to Spain so i we it's not like we have family there you know i lot i know a lot of people go back to visit and i i do have kind of extended family that some of my family has gone back to visit um but we don't have necessarily that that same connection that i know many people do yeah yeah. And that's for them. Very similar situation too. most everyone's here. So I'm laughing when you say large family, because when we were planning our wedding, I remember being like, okay, let's get our guest list together. And his family alone was like a hundred people. And I'm like, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm like, where are we going to fit all these people, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. I'm kind of, I, I'm, an only child of an only child. So my immediate family is very small, um, but my extended family, lots of cousins and, you know, my grandmother had quite a few siblings. And so, yes, I have kind of a large extended family. Yeah. That's how I, like my mom on my side of the family, I'm literally the, even the only grandchild. So I have such a small family over there. So for me, like marrying into this like hundred person family, it was at first it was, okay, wow. It's really loud. Oh, <laughs> But beautiful and like, and so fun. Well, what was the funnest book you've written? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I will be honest, and I'm really not just saying this because it's it's the book I'm talking about, but The Cuban Heiress was probably my most fun, just because it was a bit of a departure for me. Uh, this book has a lot more suspense than my other books do, and okay. I am... I'm a really big suspense reader. And so for years, I've been like injecting more and more suspense into my books. And so for this one to kind of have that freedom was really fun. And then also, you know, I felt like there was really good energy between my characters. So one of my heroines is Catherine. 
and okay. she's on the ship um and and you learn very quickly you know I'll be honest this book is very twisty and so I have to always be careful when I talk about it to not give away spoilers but you learn well, thank pretty you. early <laughs> yes no I, I always try to be careful you learn pretty early on that Catherine has a lot of secrets and that and that she has this interesting past and she sort of clashes when she's on the ship with Harry who is um, a thief who's on the ship he's a dual thief and so they have this like really fun banter um and and their interactions are some of my favorites they have kind of an ongoing um sort of bit between them that I really loved writing and and I put it in and I was like okay you know when you send the book off to your editor you never know like what they're gonna want you to take out or what they like and I was like oh please I hope she doesn't make me take out this little banter yeah. that they have between them because it's like my favorite thing and then when I got her edits back and she's like I love this I was like thank you because I was gonna fight for you know not having their banter go away so it was it was a lot of fun to write you know it's it's a very um tragic story and what happened with the ship but it's also seeped in so much kind of real life mystery and drama and that's what really drew me to the subject you know, there's a lot of interesting characters that were on the ship. You know, you have smuggling going to and from Cuba at the time because of the political wow. situation. It's the Great Depression. Prohibition has just ended. It was basically like this party ship where people, you know, lived these very extravagant lives on this cruise. And so it, it really opened me up creatively to, to imagine what kind of people would be on the ship and to really delve into these very fascinating lives that I feel like my characters got to have. Yes. Oh, that sounds great. And it comes out, is it April 13th? April 11th. April 11th. Oh, today. Yes, yes, Congratulations. Today. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, listeners, you won't hear this. May 10th is when your okay. episode is coming out, but that's so exciting. Congratulations you. for you. I'm like, Thank I didn't you. have that written down. So off the top no, of my head. No, and I wasn't like, sure what it was going to air. So I wasn't going to say, you know, oh, today, but yes, today is, oh, today is really That's today. so exciting. What does that feel like when you're, you're like, oh, it's out in the world. <laughs> you know, it's a little nerve wracking. I will be honest. I, I stopped, I haven't counted, you know, how many books I've released. Um, but probably this is like maybe my 15th or 16th, but it, it still doesn't get any less nerve wracking each time. You know, you yeah. still kind of have, I hope readers like it. I hope that, you know, they enjoy this, the characters and the story and, and yeah, there's definitely that element. Um, but it's always fun. You know, writing is really a solitary endeavor in so many ways. I mean, I have this amazing team that I work with, but so much of it is kind of me, you know, at my desk, sharing it with like yeah. my agent, my editor, you know, not too many people get to read the books before they're out in the world. So it's really cool to get to have these dialogues, you know, to do these events and podcasts and to to feel like I really get to connect with readers. I mean, that's the special part. You know, I mentioned earlier, I came to writing as a reader. So talking about books is one of my absolute favorite things. And so being able to to have, you know, these moments is, is really what I love about the job. Oh, yay. Well, congratulations to you. Thank you. I think this is the perfect segue then to dive out to who you are as a reader. And I know you've mentioned you've always been a reader, but what type of books do you like to enjoy reading? So I really pretty much read everything. Um, and okay. I think that's reflected probably in my writing. You know, I started off, I've, I've written in quite a few different genres. And it's always just if I like to read it, I have an interest in writing it. Um and that's sort of how I came to historical fiction. I, I loved reading historical fiction. So yeah, I, I think pretty much everything, you know, there's something you can appreciate, I think, about every genre. And as a writer, I feel like I learned so much. You know, romance, for example, does dialogue so beautifully. And I feel like they do character development so well. And so when I read a romance, I feel like I really 
you know, connect with the characters and I get to see this like sparkling, fabulous dialogue, you know, when the, when the hero, you know, banters and, and that sort of thing. So I, I love, um, you know, reading romances suspense, you know, for the, this page turning element of it, you know, I think they really do a great job, um, of kind of teaching you, you know, where to break scenes and how to kind of leave your readers on that cliffhanger. So (laughs) there's something in every genre that I feel like I learned from and also that I really enjoy as, as a reader. Yeah. I actually meant to add that when you were talking about how you've been adding more suspense in your books and the last, the most recent book of yours I read was the last train to Key West. And that book for me was like that, where I was, okay, I got to know what's going to happen. So I guess I better figure out, I was listening to it as an audiobook. I'm like, I guess I better go find some other task around the house to keep working on <laughs> to know what's going to happen. But I felt the suspense in that one because I was like, I want to know, you know, how this all fits together and do they make it out? And um, so, yeah, I, I loved that book for that reason because it kept me going and I, I read it so fast. Well, listened to it so fast because I had to know the ending. (laughs) Well, and I I will say that, you know, I kind of do like read alikes, like if you like, you know, and for me, I would say that The Last Train to Key West and The Cuban Heiress are probably my two most similar books because you have, they're both set in the 1930s, actually are both set over Labor Day weekend. um, And they both are set over kind of relatively short time periods where you have this large external event that influences the characters' lives. Um, And my research process was really similar for both books because both books had investigations into what happened. And so there was a lot of primary source documents um, talking about the aftermath, kind of debriefing, you know, these two events. So I, th- those two are very similar, I will say. Yeah, I'll go buy it when we get off the show oh. here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I both, of, I mean, even that hurricane in Key West, I, I never knew anything about that. So I learned a ton and I'm sure from the Cuban heirs, I will as well. So thank you. <laughs> um, so, and I know you've been so gracious to prepare us a book flight today. And so why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the theme of okay. the book flight? So I, I mentioned before I wrote romance, before I started writing historical fiction, I always love historical fiction with a, a love story component. Um, all, most of my books have, you know, kind of a strong love story within them. So I did some of my favorite historical fiction love stories. Okay, great. Well, what's the first book of the pairing today? So the first book is The Bronze Horseman by Paulina Simons. And it is this really, really beautiful story. Um, it's set in World War II Russia. And it's um, this gorgeous love story and actually the the love story spans three books the bronze horseman's the first one um in the trilogy but you really get immersed in life and in russia during this period and the characters are just really it's kind of a coming of age story it's a family saga it has so many components to it so i i really recommend that one i read it years ago and it's probably one of the books that sparked my initial passion for historical fiction oh that sounds like great family saga (laughs) coming of age and some romance in there. I love it. I've never heard of this book, so I'm really excited oh, to. It's amazing. I, I hope you enjoy. It. It's very. It's a big book. Like it's it, okay. It's long, but it's one of those books that it's very hard to put down. Kind of what we were just talking about. Yeah. So you just sort of feel very immersed in in the story and in the characters' lives. Oh, that's great. I and that's another area of the world that I don't know much about. So I would love to learn about as well it, it was for me as well so it was another when we talk about the the part of historical fiction where you learn something new I, I was also not as familiar with um that history and that moment in history so I, I enjoyed that as well yeah I have been part of the premise of why I started the show is I wanted to 
you know, I know we all, we all kind of fall into our, our ruts, let's say, of books that we, you know, genres that we like, and we tend to stay there and we always pick those up. And I'm like, well, I want to see, I always said I never thought I'd never liked fantasy. So I was like, well, you know, I'd love to, I knew I had a friend that liked fantasy. That was her go-to genre. And I'm like, what if I just start recording, talking to people about trying different, you know, themes of books or genres? And so she's gotten me to read this fantasy genre based off her episode. And those are some thick books, but they've been page turners. So now I'm a little more open to picking up the bigger book because I'm like, well, you know, like it can be a page turner too. So it doesn't seem like I'm reading a 580 page novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's great. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add about that one? I think those are kind of the highlights. It's it's a great one. I, I definitely recommend, especially if you love a good love story. It's It's kind of unforgettable. All right. So that was The Bronze Horseman by Paulina Simons. And then what's the second book of our pairing today? So the second book is The Map of Love by Adolf Suif. And it is a dual timeline book. It's set in Egypt um, at the beginning of the 20th century. And then it has a contemporary timeline, which at the time it was published was the end of the 20th century. I okay. read this book in college. I was actually, um, I studied for a summer in Paris and I was there and I picked it up in a bookshop and just absolutely fell in love. It's one of those books I've reread so many times over my my lifetime. It's this really gorgeous love story. Um, it's a young woman's kind of connection to her grandparents' love story. And so it shifts between the two time periods and also is this really fascinating look at Egyptian history and Egyptian nationalism. So I, I highly recommend it. I mean, the prose is stunning. It was a Booker Prize finalist. Um, and it's just really one of those incredible books that will stay with you for for a lifetime, basically. Yeah. Has the book followed you home from Paris? Oh, or do you have yes. a new copy now? Well, no, so I do still, I have it in ebook and I also have the same copy. Um, and, I, and I kind of love the, the, the fact that it is, you know, the copy that I, because I always have that memory of, you know, just picking it up. I, when I studied um, for international relations and global politics, I was kind of specialized in the Middle East. And so I had a, a huge interest. So I remember picking it up at the bookstore and because it had the Egyptian setting, being really interested in it, um, but had no idea, you know, how much I was going to fall in love with the story and the characters and the writing. And I've, I've read her other books, which are phenomenal. So it's definitely a, a book I recommend. And I, I always have kind of special, special memories of that one. Yeah, I did a semester in Rome. And actually speaking back to Russia, I thought, I'll bring Anna Karenina because I had never read it and it was a thicker book. And I was like, I'll bring it. It should last me this semester, right? Because I knew I would have classes. So I was going to be studying along the way as well. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I would be able to buy English language books in Rome. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'll bring this. And I remember like struggling through that book for the entire semester. And my roommate kept being like, are you still reading that? Oh. Are you still reading that? And I'm like, yes. Well, and that was the stage of my life when I, if I started a book, I always had to finish it. Mm-hmm. I've since given that up. I don't have to do that anymore. But I was like, yes, I'm going to finish. I have to know what's going to happen. But that was my first exposure to Russian literature. And, and it was it was a, a task to tackle for sure. <laughs> no, and back, you know, when I was in Paris, and when I l- lived in London, I mean, when we would travel, finding English language bookstores was a little bit harder back then. Like I didn't have, you know, that was kind of pre ebook and everything. So yeah, I, I, I remember I brought some books over with me and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely I can relate to that. Yeah, what a great experience though to be able to do that. So I tell all my younger cousins now, I'm like, if you have the opportunity, go study abroad. Yeah, change your life. No, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's definitely one of the most formative things for me for sure. 
All right. Well, that was, I'm sorry, I digressed there a little bit. The Map of Love by Adolf Suiz. And then what's the last book of the pairing today? So the last book is Along the Infinite Sea by Beatrice Williams. And that is a dual timeline uh, set in 1960s Palm Beach. And then it's kind of pre-World War II. And then a little bit at uh, the beginning of World War II. But it's this really beautiful love story once again. Um, and I love Beatrice Williams also writes really great family sagas where, you know, you can kind of follow her characters um, throughout different moments in, in the family's history. And that was a book that I just remember, you know, the love story like completely hooked me. And, and I really felt like I was there with her characters. I think she so beautifully brings her settings to life and and her characters have this great kind of electric chemistry. And so I, I really loved that one as well. And it has a gorgeous cover. I have to always, I have to say that's, that's something too. All, all three books have gorgeous covers. Oh, I'm going to have to go look them up here. I haven't, I haven't heard of any of these. So this was very exciting. For oh, me I love that. I was, I'm, I'm yeah. so happy that I recommend it to you. They're really like, for me, you know, if you did your kind of desert Island historical fiction, that, that would be, you know, on my list for sure. All three. So yeah. Well, and you'll have some beautiful covers to look at while you're stranded. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that was Along the Infinite Sea by Beatrice Williams. So thank you so much for that. How I usually end our show is what I call our bonus pairings, which are just a speed round of questions. So you can just answer these really quick. Um, but first one, are you a rereader? Yes, absolutely. Love it. What about do you prefer audio or hard copy books? I prefer hard copy. Awesome. And then what is one book that you have read that has changed your life? Uh, one book, and I will recommend this for you too, if you haven't read it, is Waiting for Snow in Havana by Carlos Ayer. It's a really yeah, incredible memoir. Yeah, it's on my memoir. shelf. Okay. No, Actually, it's, yep. It's so beautiful. It was one of the first books that I felt like really kind of brought my my family's experience to life for me when I read it, you know, many years ago. And it, it's incredible. Okay. Yeah, I actually... I don't, I think I bought it a few years ago at a used bookstore for my husband and he goes in and out of reading and he hasn't picked up, but it's still on our shelves. I can picture the cover right now. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> at it on mine as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then lastly, what are you reading next? I am just starting an arc of The Measure of Silence by Elizabeth Langston. And she's a friend from kind of the beginning of my reading career. We have the same agent our writing career. And uh, she has a new book coming out um, that's historical fiction set in the 1960s. It kind of centers around the Kennedy assassination. And it also oh, has yeah. a dual timeline component. So I'm, I'm starting that one, which I'm very excited for. Oh, that sounds very intriguing. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. I know it's precious and I appreciate all that you've given me this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Chanel Clayton and I in our discussion today on her book flight of historical fiction love stories. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'd love to hear what other books you might pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. 
This is a brand new show. So if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.